This is the Evergreen Empire. Green grow the forests and fair flow the streams. The gentle deer grazes, the wild blossom gleams. From ocean wave raging to mountain serene. All nature's proclaiming our land's evergreen. Welcome to Columbia Conversations. I'm Felix Bunnell, editor of Columbia Magazine for the Washington State Historical Society. On this episode, we speak with Dave Beals from the Washington State History Museum and hear about the research a team is doing to create a groundbreaking exhibit for 2019 about the prison on McNeil Island. Whenever we bring it up, uh, the upcoming exhibit, people mention, oh, an island prison, you mean kind of like they model it after Alcatraz? And it actually kind of works the other way where McNeil precedes Alcatraz by decades. Joining me today is Dave Beals. He's a program specialist with the Washington State Historical Society. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you, thanks for having me. Now you have one of those titles that could mean just about anything. What, what is your, uh, as a program specialist, what do you do there at the Historical Society? Uh, your description of it uh, sums it up pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> My primary duties are uh, school and adult programs, public programs, educational programs, and things like that. Uh, and also that a little bit in curation. So right now curating the upcoming exhibit on the uh, former prison at McNeil Island. Now, when does the McNeil Island exhibit open up? It opens in January of 2019. So it's still a little ways off, but coming up definitely. Yeah, I know in museum time, that's practically tomorrow. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you working on now to, uh, to get ready for the exhibit? Uh, right now, working a lot on connecting with uh, people who have a relationship with the island one way or another, former staff, folks who grew up on the island as the children of staff, former inmates, uh, and gathering oral histories, trying to get as broad of a background of people's experiences with the island as possible, uh, and also trying to identify artifacts, possible anything with a relation to McNeil Island, and just casting as big of a net as possible for that to then kind of winnow down later on to really the key, most central artifacts with the strongest stories to tell for the exhibit. What's the coolest artifact you've found so far, either in the collection or in the community? Uh, Luckily, since uh, the island is now kind of managed by the Department of Corrections, we've been able, another state agency like the Historical Society, we've been able to go out to the island on a number of occasions uh, and tour the facilities. And so there's a possibility we might be able to get some of the original cell doors uh, from the older cell blocks from the federal era and the state era. And they also have a few uh, really neat artifacts that have just managed to slip through and remain there until this time, including a, a fingerprinting kit from uh, back during the federal era, which ended in 1981. Uh, for inmate intake, they have a really complicated lever system for opening cell doors, kind of like you see in old movies set on Alcatraz and things like that. So a lot of things that give you, just on first glance, a really strong insight into where penology and management of prisons kind of philosophies have changed and what type of uh, components and physical structures were in place to match up with each one of those philosophies. I'm glad you mentioned Alcatraz because I think Alcatraz gets all the, I don't know, maybe, maybe romance is the wrong term, but Alcatraz is sort of the notorious island prison of the United States. And everybody, you know, the, with the movie with Clint Eastwood about escaping from Alcatraz and the, all the sorts of you know, folklore, urban mythology, and just its role in, in American culture with Al Capone being there and everything. And it seems like McNeil Island is also worthy of some of the similar, uh, some of a similar level of, of mythology or similar, similar level of storytelling that's really specific to our region. I mean, is there, in the, what have you found in the work you've done in terms of how McNeil fits into either the, the bigger picture of prisons in the U.S. or does it stand on its own as a sort of 
this, this institution worthy of this kind of uh, mythology, for lack of a better term? It really does, possibly not on the same level of maybe notoriety as Alcatraz. Alcatraz was built with the express intention of taking the most dangerous, the highest escape risk inmates uh, from other federal prisons throughout the country and, uh, you know, kind of keeping them in one spot that was supposedly escape-proof, which um, I think kind of as a result of that, obviously, it kind of gained notoriety just from the people who went through it as well as its intent purpose, whereas McNeil was more of your standard federal penitentiary that certainly, you know, had its share of characters and notable people come through. But it actually, whenever we bring it up, uh, the upcoming exhibit, people mention, oh, an island prison, you mean kind of like they model it after Alcatraz? And it actually kind of works the other way, where McNeil precedes Alcatraz by decades and actually started as a territorial prison in Washington. And then when the federal government in D.C. kind of started to see a need to have a federalized prison system, they, Congress passed the Three Prisons Act, starting the first three truly federal prisons uh, in the country. Prior to that, it had only been territorial prisons, county, state, or city jails. But to have a federal prison system, starting with three prisons, and they selected McNeil Island as the third position for that. So truly, as soon as you have a federal prison system, McNeil Island was one of those. So it's one of the three oldest truly federal prisons in the country, along with Leavenworth in Kansas and Atlanta in Georgia. And mm. then it is the only prison to have gone from territorial into federal and then have transitioned to a state. Uh, in 1981, it transitioned to a, within the Washington State Department of Corrections. So it has this wholly unique kind of lifetime and this really unique chart that passes through history where you can really get a lot of glimpses about Northwestern Washington history, but also just chart changes in U.S. penology over the 130-plus year history of its being open. And penology is that is the study or the, the, the school of thought around uh, prisons and prisoners and punishment and all that sort of stuff? Exactly, yeah. What's the sort of the short kind of thumbnail history of that, of that island prison? So it started uh, with the recognition every territory before it would become a state. Uh, so any state that began as a territory rather than the original colonies would get a territorial prison. So that's where Washington's was selected. And so they put a territorial prison first. And then when it became a state, it was offered to Washington State to become a state prison. Uh, but the Washington governor turned it down, and Walla Walla had already been constructed at that point. So it turned it down, and the feds continued to use it. And it continued as a federal prison, uh, one of the three main federal prisons there at the very beginning, uh, up until 1981. And then it transitioned to a state institution. Uh, so it really is the only one that started that path of territorial to federal to state and was a prison in operation for 136 years straight, which is, at the time it closed, it was the oldest prison still in operation in the federal prison system. Uh, that's bizarre. I didn't realize that. And what I, that, that territorial era with Washington, I always think about the difference between Oregon, which became a state, I think, in 1859, and Washington, which became a state 30 years later. Um, those three decades where Washington is relying so much on the federal government um, as a territory and not doesn't have its own senators and representatives the way Oregon had. I feel like that's just this cradle of development there that sets Oregon and Washington off on these very different paths because of this 30 years uh, during the 19th century where you know we, we were a territory, Oregon was a state. And, and sometimes that's a crackpot theory, I think, but because um, I don't really have anything to back it up. But have you come across anything in your research that, that speaks to that sort of federal influence and federal, uh, what, what being so closely tied to the federal government did to Washington Territory in that era? Yeah, well, actually, kind of the way you summed it up really plays out really well in McNeil's history, or really clearly in McNeil's history, I should say, where 
in the beginning, it was kind of the forgotten prison, even when it became one of the three fully recognized federal prisons along with Leavenworth and Atlanta. Those two got all the resources. They got all the money to build big central cell houses. And McNeil already had a cell house. They built another one and then had to beg for money. It didn't get an actual budget uh, for the first, I think, about 10 years of its existence as a federal prison. So it actually kind of had the opposite effects where it was supposedly tied to the federal government, but the federal government kind of thought it out of sight, out of mind. And so that kind of developed this identity for McNeil where they really had to be self-reliant, had to be creative with creating their own ways of, you know, making a budget for food or uniforms or anything like that, where guards had to provide their own clothing, their own uniforms, uh, and were only issued a rifle that they checked in and checked out. And they didn't have living quarters initially and all these different things where it really kind of shows, like you said, where Oregon would have this strong centralized state government that's right there overseeing it. Washington had this really distant federal government. And the McNeil Island staff really kind of had to operate on their own under the supervision of the U.S. Marshal for the Washington Territory. Hmm. And and are there um, are there particularly either notorious or famous or infamous prisoners that you've come across in your research who sort of stand out as sort of the I don't know the the rogues gallery or the the best known um, stories that emerge from from the the decades at McNeil. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So a, kind of a little known fact about McNeil was it was actually where. Uh, Charles Manson was first imprisoned. Um, it's up for debate a little bit whether it was for uh, check fraud or for stealing a car. I believe it was for check fraud, and then they, he was out on bail for or violated probation doing that for having stolen a car earlier. So he was sent to McNeil Island for about five years or so, uh, and this is well before anyone knew who he was, and he kind of dabbled in looking into Scientology as a possible religion, was still very interested in, like, creating this persona and kind of manipulating people to his will. And you can kind of chart through his autobiography and books about him. Ed McNeil is where he first kind of dabbled in Scientology and then gave that up, finding that music in the 1960s was a more effective way to kind of build a following and kind of create this mythical persona about yourself. So then when he transferred out of McNeil, he transferred down to Terminal Island in California. And then when he was released from there, went to San Francisco to start his music career uh, and back and forth between the Bay Area and Los Angeles and went on to further notoriety there. But it's, it was really interesting to me finding out that he kind of started that dabbling in how to create this cult-like persona in McNeil Prison. That's what I had no a, idea. And, and he was sent there because and the crimes he committed were in Washington or they were in California, and it was just a federal prison they sent him to? Right, they were in California and okay. then McNeil Island uh, for, I think, quite a few, about the first half century of his existence, uh, was there to take anyone who committed a federal crime on the West Coast, basically west of the Rockies, Alaska and Hawaii, and unless you were dangerous enough to be sent to Alcatraz, that was kind of where the inmates' house in McNeil came from. Huh. Wow. I had no idea. I'd only heard about like uh, Vincent Hallinan before. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, who ran for president while still in prison <laughs> in McNeil. They had uh, people flying or sailing a sailboat with Hallinan for president uh, around the island the whole time he was in there. <laughs> wow, that's great. And um, the. You mentioned that you're, you've been reaching out to try to connect to do oral histories with former staff and people who have some kind of connection to McNeil and former inmates. So I imagine that not every person you reach out to who's a former inmate wants to talk with someone from the State Historical Society about their experience at, at McNeil. Yeah, that uh, has been the case. And even more than that, it's hard to just track down folks because, you know, that's often not a, a thing that people broadcast about their history or that would be immediately apparent. A lot of people want to kind of put that behind them and not really address it again. So even just 
finding people to talk to is kind of through word of mouth. And luckily, we're partnering with KNKX uh, to produce a radio show about the history of McNeil Island, and they've kind of been able to make inroads through different uh, services and to help former inmates kind of reacclimate into back into working jobs and things once they get released, and also through networks of inmates who are still uh, incarcerated somewhere within the Washington State prison system. Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, that's I, I love the idea that I'm a big fan of you know using history as a practical tool to you know think about the present and prepare for the future and. You know, while not, well, prisons don't affect every single member of the population. I mean, they do in a way because we're all, we live in a society where, you know, prison is one of the places you can end up if you, you know, make bad choices, I guess. But um, you mentioned something. What's, what's the island, does the island currently play some kind of a, a role in the um, incarceration in the, in the system? Um, not anymore with the Department of Corrections. The island kind of, oversight of the island is split up between quite a few Washington state agencies, uh, including Fish and Wildlife, because there's a, certain seal population there that's one of the most unique in the state. The Department of Correction still oversees the former uh, prison facility, and a few of them are still in use, like the Marine Shop and a few other things. Inmates can take boats out to work in those shops and get trained on uh, how to fix and repair boats. And then the remaining is the, uh, there's a special commitment center is what it's called, and it's technically a mental health uh, facility. It's, it's, I official designation and its purpose is to uh for svps as they're called or sexually violent predators uh, who have been deemed by a judge upon their completion of a sentence for a committed crime deemed too dangerous to be released back into society are civilly committed is the phrasing used into this special containment center or commitment center sorry and uh and are housed there more or less indefinitely that's i mean that hearing you talk about that i mean this the topic it's it's it seems like an Slightly unusual topic choice for a state history museum to look at a prison that still has, I mean, it has such a, a deep history, which makes sense. But then it has this current role as well. And then, you know, the notion of bringing in KNKX to talk about contemporary issues of, of incarceration. It seems like a, it seems pretty cool um, to, to, for the museum to do this. Is this, are there, have there been similar projects or is this, is this part of a new, new kind of focus or a new energy or what's, where does this idea for doing something like this come from? I think it is, just you know a general trend in museums but certainly here of kind of asking big questions and using whatever topic you're talking about and it doesn't always have to be as heavy as you know incarceration and the history of incarceration in the united states but kind of what what lessons can you learn from that what what about the history of that informs the present today and what are big questions you can ask about that to kind of help give additional perspective or framing on history and particularly for us the history of washington state and how that informs so much of what we see around us today. And how many times have you visited the island as part of the project? I've been out twice, and we have another visit coming up in May as well. What was that first visit like? It was, it was really odd, and it was really informative, I think, if, especially if you're doing a, a project on this scale. It's kind of necessary to make it out to the island, since it is just such a unique prison, and then also additionally such a unique setting for a prison. Uh, where we talked to so many former staff members who are like brought to tears almost from having to leave the island because it is such a beautiful setting where you're looking at Mount Rainier, you're looking at Puget Sound, uh, but you're looking at that from a very, you know, traditional stark gray prison facility. So there's a really kind of interesting and bizarre juxtaposition of natural beauty and just stark, you know, correctional cell block buildings. Uh, 
but then also we were able to take a tour around the island and see, you know, how the prison shaped the island and kind of vice versa over the course of its history. Uh, and then just struck by it's only been closed since 2011 and just how quickly nature has reclaimed so many of those buildings. You know, I've, I've walked around a fair number of, oh, I don't know, sort of abandoned mental hospitals or abandoned hospitals or places where, you know, for decades, people, lots of people were in trauma or, or some were being punished or were suffering one way or another. And, you know, this isn't sort of a woo-woo question, but do you get any kind of a <laughs> kind of spooky vibe being on a prison that's been there that long? Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, not in terms of anything like, you know, uh, in terms of spirits or anything, but certainly just the visual, the starkness of the buildings. You know, it's the, one of the cell blocks that's there was built in 1907, so it has a very strong, it's like your typical cell block with tears like you see in any Alcatraz movie, and the cell block door is a clang shut like you do in old movies, you know, and you can't look at something like that without recognizing, you know, the humanity behind it and, and the purpose for its being built and the evolution of the thinking that went into that and then the evolution after the thinking of how that was people it was deemed that that was the best method for incarcerating people you know there's just no way to be somewhere with that much history and like you said with that much kind of trauma behind it uh both for the inmates and then for you know families of victims and and in, in all regards you just can't be somewhere like that without recognizing its place in history and all of the humanity that went into it Dave Beals, Program Specialist with the Washington State Historical Society. Thanks for joining us on Columbia Conversations. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Columbia Conversations from the Washington State Historical Society. For more information or to subscribe to Columbia Magazine, please visit WashingtonHistory.org. I'm Felix Bunnell. <laughs>